0: Hey everybody, welcome to the For the King podcast. Um in Mark 15:2, Pilate asks Jesus, "Um are you the king of the Jews?" and Jesus says, "You have said so." Um, So this is a podcast where obviously we recognize Christ as King, the King that He is already reigning over all things. Um, And this week, actually, I have an awesome privilege of um, having a guest on the podcast that's um, just a brand new acquaintance to me. But obviously, my brother and I have talked about this book already on the podcast that he wrote. Um, It's called Masculine Christianity. And uh, I have Zach Garris with me today, the writer. Um, He has an MDiv from uh, RTS and Jackson. Um, He has a JV. Um, so very educated man. Um, he was an editor for Dabney on Fire, a theological, uh, th- sorry, a theology of parenting, education, feminism, and government. So he was an editor for that. He writes at knowing scripture.com, check out his website and also manages teachdiligently.com, which is a Christian education resource website. Um, so he has his hands in a lot of things. We're really excited to have him on the podcast today. Thanks for coming on Zach. Um, well yeah, Let's get into it. Any, anything I missed? Or, uh, is that a pretty good summation of
1: <laughs> some of yeah, your? Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's pretty good. So, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so, Masculine Christianity, this book you wrote, um, was it two years ago, two and a half, three?
1: Actually, it's it came out October of uh, 2020, so less than a year, About a
0: year and a half. Year, okay, gotcha, that makes sense. Yeah, so, um, the first part of the book, first chapter just starts with setting the um you know, this picture of feminism and the way it's impacted our society. So the first question, kind of getting into, um, you know, how the book tracks along, you know, why is feminism bad for society? So can you just kind of speak to that, the the first chapter kind of um, uncovering some of these, you know, um, let me see, Trojan horses coming into the church through feminism. So what would you say some of the big points there?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess first, uh, let me, you know, explain feminism briefly and it was a movement that started in the mid 1800s. Um, and so that's often called first wave feminism, which was pushing for, uh, women's suffrage, which in the United States, women were granted the right, uh, through constitutional amendment in 1920. Um, and then you had the later movements, uh, or waves, such as second wave feminism of the sixties, nineteen sixties, and that's usually associated with the sexual revolution. Um, <clears throat> and now you have a third wave, which is you know kind of harder to define, but uh, more tied, I would say, for you yeah. know, with like tra- uh, transgenderism and, and things like that, or redefining gender. And, and there's fights amongst feminists; they don't all agree on things, and, and not all you know. The second wave feminists aren't always fans of kind of what's going on today but so i think it, it helps to understand you know the the different waves of feminism and of course i get into the details in the first chapter of my book uh trying to explain that but yeah i i do think you know as as far as christians you know when we evaluate these these movements you know most christians will say you know second wave feminism was bad or at least mostly bad partly bad Mm -hmm. um but they don't usually want to go all the way back to first wave feminism and point out any problems and so that's one thing i try to do in in the book is show that you know the different movements different waves are connected and that second wave feminism you know stems from first wave and so you can't totally detach them so in order to understand the problems of second wave feminism you need to know a little bit of Uh, the earlier history. So Mm -hmm. as far as that, I I think the problem with first wave was that it was not just seeking to get women the right to vote, but it was also tied, I would say with more radical uh, things, which like one of the leaders was Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Mm -hmm. And she was advocating some pretty uh, radical things such as no fall divorce yeah. And it, so she mentions that, and, he, and even, you know, women leading in government, but women leading in the church. You know, she has you know, I, I provide some quotes, you know, with her, yes. her saying these. So those were great. Um, really helpful. Yeah, it, it's helpful to see those because a lot of people with first wave feminism, they just think of uh, Susan B. Anthony. Mm. And because she, she was she was a little more. um she was at least less radical sure, palatable. and so yeah. yeah more palatable that's a good word and so you know that's a lot of people like to put her as the face of first wave feminism but she and stanton were good friends and stanton was you know i would say in some ways uh more of a force behind all these things so
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know as far as the church goes i mean it doesn't feel the, the the full effects with first wave feminism i think it i think it takes some time to where we get to like the modern day where it's, you know, what's known as egalitarianism, Mm -hmm. Um, particularly in the church where, where you have a lot of Christians advocating, you know, that women can be pastors and they'll um, essentially undermine like male headship in the home. So like Ephesians five, they'll come back and say, okay, well the man's the head of the household, but, uh," or, or they, they might not say that, but they'll say, okay, the wife is supposed to submit to the husband, but it's actually mutual submission. And so, the husband also has, has to submit to the wife, so it just totally changes, you know, the me the meaning exactly, of yeah. male headship. So,
0: R- yeah, it really flips the worldview on its head uh, of what is explicit in the scriptures. Um, yeah, and I thought from the book when you're talking about um, Caddy Stanton, I forget what's her first name, but Elizabeth that, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Caddy yeah. Stanton. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some of her theology, these women that led like the suffragette movement, um, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I mean, I know that was later on, but you know, in its conception from all these ladies, their theology, they do interact with the text. Um, they, they go to some of these verses in the Bible and they, they they knew it well, what was some of the implications of these verses. And frankly, they understood it better than most, you know, complementarians understand the text. And they were like, I don't like this, that the Bible teaches this. And, um, yeah basically that births second third wave like you're saying they're all connected um so i thought that was great um just just hitting what these women literally said and what the theology was and how they rejected the Bible. It, it, they they did interact with the bible often um it wasn't just out of the yeah. back
1: and let me add there uh, stanton even had a a book that she helped edit um it was called the uh, the woman's bible and yeah. it it you know like takes you know parts out of the Bible, and, and it, you know I quote from the, I think it's the preface uh, or introduction, and you know she has some pretty you know terrible things to say about about the Bible. So she definitely dis- disrespected the scriptures, did not did not believe them, exactly. and you know saw saw them as standing in the way of of feminism.
0: Exactly, and for the the um leaders of the feminist movement to have that idea and then egalitarians that are claiming to be christians and like the people that they're getting their theology from don't believe you know in the bible it's it's a very odd phenomena to see that in america now um so it's a sad thing and i'm glad you have a polemic you have a work here a book going against that um so i hope that you know there's ripple effects so um let's move on how has feminism infected the church what are some of the big signs of feminism in a church if you're church shopping you're looking for a church whatever you just became a christian um and you're 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 looking into the the scriptures to know what it means to be a man what it means to be a woman you know um how do we see this feminism specifically like you're saying the second and third wave impacting the church you know um like women's ministry stuff you already brought up them, them wanting to make women pastors make women deacons um that kind of thing even Teach, you know, have a seminary professor that's a woman to teach for a, you know, a position, you know, um, that she can't even hold, that kind of thing. So, um, people like Beth Moore, these these traveling teachers that, you know, are they a pastor? They're, they speak at conferences. You know, what? You know, how do these things? Um, how are they from, You know, trickling down from feminism in the church.
1: Long yeah, there's, there's obviously a lot. There's a lot there. I think the most blatant you know signs of feminism would be a, a woman pastor or elder at a church. Uh, deacons are another issue and though though I disagree with women deacons um, I think the office of deacon is reserved for men. Though I think women have a assisting role particularly in dealing with serving women, other women. Yeah. I think that's referenced in 1 Timothy 3:11. But so so I don't want to go too hard after the churches with deaconesses because there have been some historically like more conservative churches and even denominations that allow it. Um, but elders is another issue, uh, elders and pastors, uh, depending on church's view here of uh, ecclesiology, church leadership. But uh, if a church has a woman elder or pastor, then they clearly are egalitarian to some extent mm-hmm. and rejecting you know, male rule in the church, and that—that's a lot of denominations. I mean, you know, that was a big battle in the in the 20th century. Uh, a lot of churches dividing over women's ordination. I think it was often tied with more than that because a lot of a lot of the more liberal churches, especially the—they'll call them the mainline churches, like the um, the mainline Lutherans. Which is the ELCA, the Mainline Presbyterians, PCUSA, they they were also rejecting the inerrancy of Scripture, so mm-hmm. they didn't they didn't start with women's ordination. But uh, you know you see it a lot even in so-called like conservative churches like the EPC, which is the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. They have complementarian churches in there, but they also have. Um, Egalitarian churches, and so a lot of times these churches won't have women senior pastors. They might have like women associate uh, or assistant pastors or women elders.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think there's just maybe some things that go into it uh, why they still maybe want a male senior pastor or something like that. But that's that's obviously the first sign, yeah, or you know most uh, blatant sign that of egalitarianism. Uh, you have you know, you mentioned Beth Moore, Um, you know, if that's geared towards women, it's, it's, you know, not as much of an issue, but yeah, you know, obviously Beth Moore, you know, like you said, kind of acts like a pastor in some ways, and it's hard to establish her role in in scripture. Um, But Let's comment, I guess, on this in some more subtle ways, Mm -hmm. Uh, churches that might only have male, pastors and elders, but, you know, signs of feminism. They they might even call themselves conservative and things like that. And so so I I definitely mentioned this somewhat in the book, but I've seen this in my own experience where churches are, you know, they'll call themselves complementarian and they only have male leadership in the church, but they may in practice be more egalitarian, um, maybe in how their homes function um, maybe they don't comment uh, on like greater society or they're you know I, I think generally the case is these churches do a couple things one they don't want to speak on issues um, because it's controversial so they're definitely not going to like say there's something wrong with like a woman leading somewhere in society like yeah. you know sub- civil government or something it's probably not going to touch outside the church Um they probably aren't going to preach on it a whole lot or teach on it um as far as why only men should be pastors
0: mm-hmm.
1: and when they too when they do come to passages like Ephesians 5 they might they like to say kill it with a, a thousand qualifications <laughs> where you know they they might say yeah it's male headship but you know the emphasis is always on a husband loving his wife yeah. and of course of course, the husband should love his wife. That's in the passage. But yeah. it's, it's it's both, right? It's the mm-hmm. husband loving, the wife submitting. So yeah. I think they kind of you know tiptoe around some of these passages. Um, another thing is they're not going to talk a whole lot about uh, gender roles as far as women staying at home with kids uh-huh. and careerism, which I think is a huge problem in the church. You see it more and more with the younger women is that they're, you know, they're going to college, which, which education is fine. Uh, It's a good thing, but they're going to college, maybe going into master's programs or PhDs uh, medical, you know, becoming doctors um, and they're taking on careers. So oftentimes debt where they feel like they have to go into a career. And obviously this gets in the way of children. And so, I think this is probably one of the biggest problems in churches today that are otherwise conservative is they haven't talked about these issues. And so they kind of de facto become feminist where you start looking around and the women are all career women and they're either not marrying or marrying very very late, having kids, Mm -hmm. you know, starting into their thirties rather than twenties. And then they're. Probably not having very many either, and if they do, they send them off to daycare or public school. Yeah. So this is kind of becoming like the norm. And and you know, one thing I argue in my book is this is happening because not because the Bible doesn't speak to these issues, but because pastors aren't touching on them. Yeah, and so so that really is the problem. So I, I think that's um, that's probably a that's a really controversial thing to get into nowadays. But I think it's something we need to uh, touch on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was, that was great. Um, the subtle ways are ob- more obvious to people that have spoken about it when it comes to the light. It's like, Whoa, there's, there, there are these issues here that I'm not even uh, realizing, you know, you bringing up, um, in the text that says, you know, husbands are to love their wives and wives to submit a church will not speak to a, a, a woman's sin of not submitting to her husband. She's commanded to, and when they don't, um, you know, when, when your pastor does not speak to such a sin occurring in the home, that is a sign of feminism. We will not speak on, you know, the way women can sin in their roles. They have a specific role and they're not they're not filling it. Um, if the pulpit is not proclaiming that that is a heinous sin before God to not walk in your God given sex and gender, then, you know, that's an issue. Um, so, yeah, does that, does that make sense? That any Did you disagree with what I said or? I think
1: we're Oh, no, I, I absolutely agree.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, I just want to dialogue. I don't want to just be, I I ask a question, you answer. I want to dialogue a little bit, you know, have some fun with it. But no, that was, that was great. Um, so obviously for you guys listening, you can see these things in your church, whatever congregation you're a part of, or even in, you know, the greater society, like um, Zach just walked us through. So, um, you know, a question I had by the end of the book, you know, does it make sense to have a woman's ministry? um historically in the church you know it was like you're saying we're moving from you're a family unit and then you're a part of a congregation and then you're a part of you know some society that's like what you're a part of nobody's an individual that that's a that's a novel view in being a human in humanity to say it's just me myself and i this postmodern thought i define myself all that so does it make sense to have a woman's ministry to like section off women apart from the local congregation Um, And to just have, you know, obviously we know in Titus, I think it's chapter two, women ought to teach younger women how to love their husbands and, you know, fulfill the role of a woman. Um, But, you know, does that text alone basically approve of of, of explicit women's ministry in a
1: church? Yeah, so I I think I want to go speak a little more broadly because I, I think this becomes a problem in larger churches, especially but but even smaller ones where they want to create all of these different types of ministries. So they'll have a men's ministry, women's ministry, children's ministry, youth ministry. Uh, and you can go you know, down the line. Yeah, <laughs> college ministry, right? So they always have these separate ministries and maybe have a different pastor for each or you yep. know, something, somebody running it. And so I actually would just be critical of that model, uh, you know, as a whole because. I mean, one, it's, it's not in, in scripture, uh, but, but two, it's kind of, you know, breaking up families and, um, you know, I, I think there's a place for like men's groups or men getting together. Uh, oh. I think that's healthy women getting together with, you know, without the men, you know, there's a place for that. Um, you know, youth group, whether the youth should, uh, just hang around each other all the time time that's that's another question i, I think that's <laughs> brings a brings a lot of problems when yeah. um, they're not engaging with adults on a regular basis but you know so so i think there's just problems where these these sort of uh you know if you have a men's breakfast or something that's great but if it turns into like just men focused ministry all the time i think you know that's a problem uh the pastors and elders of the church should be ministering to the congregation as a whole mm-hmm. um you mentioned Titus too, and I think that's important because that mentions, you know, the, the the role of older women. You know, it's it's not really appropriate for, like, men to be discipling young women. Yeah. So, so it makes sense that older women are going to be taking on this task. And uh, that's what Paul says in, in Titus 2. But what is the content of what he mentions is, you know, as you said, being submissive to their husbands, working at home. Um, you know, people can go read the text for themselves. That's what it says. And, um, you know, uh, sadly, a lot of women's ministries don't focus on these things. They don't focus on women being good, good wives and mothers, but they're they're focused on, um, I mean, maybe it's just like they turn into a Bible study or a hangout or something. And so instead of the older women really training up the younger women, you know, in God's, uh, you know, designed for them as, as mothers and, and wives, uh, you know, the, the, I don't know what else they're doing. I mean, this just happens in the church. It becomes like kind of a social club a lot of times. No, that's,
0: no, that's, a, I yeah, that's great. And that happens all the time. And, and even my, uh, my mom and then my sister-in-law, they go to, you know, this little women's book study group and yeah, it's kind of like a, you know, echo chamber of people's feelings and things like that. That's just not really actually helpful for women versus, you know, what they're supposed to do in their role rather than just this cycle of, you know, trying to affirm one another, make everybody feel good and encourage affirmation. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. That can be kind of not exactly Christian,
1: you know? Um, Yeah. And let me just add there is, you know, the younger Christians need mentors, you know, that's a, the men need, you know, mentors, older men to mentor them. And the younger women need older women to mentor them and set them good examples. And I just think it's sad that, you know, this isn't happening to the extent that it, that it should. And so the younger, the younger people, both men and women are off kind of trying to figure things out on their own. And the culture is certainly pushing them in the wrong direction.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. I know some of the biggest blessings in my life have been older men just teaching me how to be a man Um, so yeah, I, I'm 23, I'm very young. So, um, there's a, there's a guy I meet with weekly that we memorize scripture with and he's an older guy, you know, he's in his sixties. Um, and I just appreciate it. And I don't need more (laughs) young people telling me, you know, how to to be, how to be young and stupid. You know, I don't need that. Um, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I get enough of that. Okay. So, okay, here, here's the one that was super convicting and me and my brother have this joke now where we're always talking about like our, our wrists being tight or being loose, you know, like, you know, you'll see a, a feminine guy kind of going like that, you know, but you know, I, a real man always has taut wrists and we'll always, you know, be like around each other and we'll go like that to show our wrists are taut, And I'll be like, okay, yeah, you're good. You're good. Um, so just, yeah, we, we really resonated with this verse specifically, well, I guess the set of verses, but 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10 is talking about the people that will not inherit the kingdom of God. In the book, you do an excellent just um, walk through the text and what is being articulated. The King James translates it effeminate men will not inherit the kingdom of God. Most of our literal translations and you know ESV, NASV, things like that is going to say um, men who practice homosexuality. Um, but you're, you're saying there's actually a part of that word. That's more getting at just a man being a soft, effeminate man. So I guess the question with that understanding of that verse, we're just going to assume that are modern Christian men effeminate, specifically in America, in the West, are are modern uh, Christian men more effeminate than they are masculine to some extent, or are they leading? Um,
1: I will say some of them are effeminate. Um, there's still a lot of good, godly, masculine men in the church today. Yeah. So I don't want to indict, you know, everyone. Sure. Um, I think, you know, I guess maybe we should talk a little bit about what effeminacy is. And, you know, when Paul is using it in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, I mean, that word, yeah, it's it literally means soft. And so it's used metaphorically uh, for, you know, male homosexuality. And that, of course, uh, is kind of the worst. I would say like that's like the you know peak effeminacy for a man, yeah um but it's it's broader than that, and so the some of the older authors, like Calvin, you know they would associate it with uh, kind of decadence and you know effeminate dress, so if mm-hmm. a man is speaking or dressing, you know not like a man more like a woman. Uh, they would they would include that in there um i I think you know if we define effeminacy in our modern terms it's it's clearly a man is not acting like a man he 's acting like a woman so it 's good for a woman to act like a woman, but when a man acts like that he's acting uh, you know femininely so um I think you know there's a lot of things you could get into is to what that means in the, in its application today. Um, you know, as I, I mentioned, the book is, well, what's a man supposed to do? Well, the scriptures say, you know, a man is to lead, you know, so he should, he should lead in life in general, but mm-hmm. if he's married and has kids. He should lead his family. Well, spiritually, physically he should provide for them. He should protect them. And, um, you know, he should have a mission. There's, there's that too, is God, you know, gives us tasks uh, and missions to carry out in life. And so, you know, if he's not doing those things, if he's just sitting around and uh, you know, wanting others to just uh, you know, give him handouts or, you know, he's not willing to work. Yeah. That's, a- uh, that's, that's definitely not acting ma- you know, in a masculine manner. Um, if he 's unwilling to protect you know people uh you know it doesn 't mean he has to sign up to be a soldier, but he should you know protect those in his life and it not, it's not it 's not just physically fighting i mean I, there is a you know occasion where that may be necessary but um it would just be looking out looking out for people um and so you know there 's that then there 's the more i think explicit effeminate behavior which is sometimes hard to define but most people you know know it when they see it um and so it could be you know the way the way a man dresses um mm-hmm. i mean you have you have today you have transgenderism so yeah, i mean that's yeah. the most that's the most blatant form of it obviously exactly. um so yeah. yeah and this is a problem in the church just kind of where you're asking i mean it is a problem in the church to an extent um i guess especially when men defend feminism that's Exactly. That's always uh, pretty pretty bad because they're essentially you know defending a position that undermines uh, God's teaching on masculinity. So, yeah. And um, can you speak uh, somewhat to the nice guy thing
0: you brought up, just being nice um, in the book, just uh, men acting effeminately in that way, not acting like men and just being agreeable all the time rather than maybe firm in the truth at times, you know?
1: Yeah. You know, it's it's funny because we we use that word nice a lot, right? Oh, he's a nice guy. And, yeah. and uh you know, I, I you know, sometimes it's harmless most most of the time, but usually people use it just because like the the person they're speaking of is uh, agreeable, like you said, or he just you know, he the way he comes off is he's nice. Yeah. Um and we We generally think that's like a good thing, always a nice guy, uh but really, like that word's not you know found in the in the Bible, and you'd have to ask you know well was Jesus a nice guy was <laughs> the apostle paul was you know elijah in, in the old testament Moses you know I don't think these men would be described as nice guys yeah. um by our standards and so that doesn't mean they weren't kind. I, I think the, nice. that's the biblical word is kindness, is where you know there's t- you know it's the fruit of the spirit, right? So there's there's taking care, uh, caring for others. That's kindness. Uh, you know, taking others into account. You know, loving others. That that's a that's a good thing. But there is a time where a man has to you know he's not he's going to act in a way that he doesn't come off as nice. Yes. Uh, he, he has to you know men have to exhort a preacher should be exhorting the congregation. That's probably not going to be nice language all the time. Yep. Um, You know, correcting, correcting people, um, disciplining children, you know, so I I think this word nice is just overused and it often is uh, not a a term you want to be described uh, by. It it may just mean that you, there's no, you have no backbone, right? (laughs) You don't, you don't stand up. Right. So, uh, is People, men who push back, who who uh, you know maybe go against the grain, or they they won't be pushed around. They're they're probably not going to be described as nice. Exactly. Yeah.
0: You know you don't read about nice men in history, really. You know you read about strong men, masculine men.
1: Not, nice guys don't accomplish much.
0: Not really. They, yeah. What's the
1: What's the saying? Right? Nice guys finish last. There's nice There's something last. to that.
0: It really is. Yeah. That's not a saying for no reason at all. There's always a hint of truth to some of those. (laughs) Um, Okay. So let's move on. What are, um, so this whole, these set of three questions are just about, you know, feminism infecting, infecting the church. Um, So what are some of the major ways that complementarianism has compromised itself? Um, You know, we can talk about like DeYoung's book where he um, defends, Women can interpret prophecy to kind of open up that door to teaching, things like that. Um, you know, so how that, those kind of things, as one example, you know?
1: Yeah. So this is, this is getting into controversial territory, right? Because yeah. comp- complementarianism is supposed to be team conservative. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but I, I think a lot of people have realized, you know, who follow these debates have realized that complementarianism is not a monolithic movement and that the term, you know, encompasses a lot of people who disagree on a lot of things and that some of these people who, you know, we would describe as maybe more narrow complementarians compared to yeah. the broad um, then, you know, they're pretty close to egalitarianism. And so that, I think that's part of the the challenge here. So let me say what complementarianism is. It's a movement that started in the 1980s as a response to evangelical feminism in the church. So, you know, women had, uh, you had women pastors in the churches for you know quite some time. I think it started to really take off maybe in the fifties, 1950s. And the complementarians, uh, is a, coin, a term coined by uh, a group you known as the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. And they came out with a thing called the Danver Statement. I think that was 1987. And then they have the book Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood in 1991, I think. It was edited by John Piper and Wayne Grudem. So those are kind of the two of the big names associated with the movement. And so I think there's a couple of things that are noticeable about. Uh, this is one. It's a it's a reaction against feminism. So it wasn't necessarily a full-orbed biblical theology of men and women. They were really trying to argue against, you know, f- feminism in the church, which was, you know, saying uh, undermining male headship in the home, and then um, saying women could be pastors and elders in the church. So, so those were the two things that the complementarians you know, kind of staked out on was one, they, they said, you know, man is the head of his household. And, uh, two, that only men can be pastors and elders in the church. Mm-hmm. So th- that was their focus. And, and that was good. I think there was a lot of good things about that. Uh, and the, and the book recovering biblical manhood and womanhood has a lot of good chapters in it. And so the conservatives on this started calling themselves complementarian, but, since the 1990s, you've really seen kind of some fracturing of complementarianism. And this includes a lot of churches and theologians that go by the name, but they started allowing more and more things. So um, they generally won't advocate male uh, or female pastors, but, you know, they start allowing women to preach or uh, preach to men, that is, uh, where they would say, well, you know, it's the only first Timothy the two is only teaching that men or women can't be elders. So they would allow women to preach, maybe teach Sunday school to men. Nice. Um, but, but they'll go even broader than that. Um, probably taking a soft view on male headship in the home and submission. Uh, and we kind of talked about that, how a lot of times they won't teach that very explicitly or they dance around it. Yeah. So those are kind of some common things with narrow complementarianism. And I think you had kind of the seeds of this, these disagreements even early on, because I think John Piper holds to a broader complementarianism yeah. where he's going to argue, look, these are these these gender roles or duties, as I like to call them, are rooted in our bodies and in the differing nature between man and woman. And so he'll go further and he'll say like, he's openly said, he doesn't think a woman should be president and you get differences with like Wayne Grudem is not, not really there. He's, he's, he seems to be holding to a more narrow form of complementarianism. So my book is obviously defending a broader view. Mm -hmm. And so I I get into some of that and I even kind of critique the, the term complementarian a little bit. Um, and I do so partly because it's kind of a strange word, but part of it also is that I think complementarianism, particularly its narrow form deviated from, uh, historic Christianity on these views. And I think they held to a broader form or, what well, you know what we may term patriarchy, uh, which is just male, male rule overall when, you know, church home and society. Yeah. And so I, I cite John Calvin. I, you know, I, I, reformers you can cite early church i i think that was that was the old, old view and i think um complementarianism you know which is only you what know, like 30 years old or so really threw off some of those teachings and and you even mentioned they, they interpret first corinthians 14 in a new way which deals with um prophecy or interpreting prophecy mm. so at least in in their view um So yeah, definitely some deviations. And uh, I I think it's probably what I'll just say here is I think it's really opened the door to feminism in the church in that uh, it it was complementarians are often trying to appeal too much to the egalitarians and feminists. So yeah, they they might even be willing to say, yeah, there were some bad things about uh, patriarchy or abuses in the past. And so we're, we're, we are changing some, the, you know, correctives. And they they would say it's in the Bible. I, you know, I would argue ag- against that. You know, I try to root all of my arguments here in, in scripture. Um, you do so it, yeah,
0: seriously, it's yeah, it was spectacular to go through the book and just see true biblical argumentation of the gender roles. Cause some of it just seems so inconsistent to me. And, um, you know, I hope we can get into this in a second, but just the civil realm. Um, that was one of the, the broad, even the broad complementarians don't even really apply as heavily to the civil realm as they probably should. And the narrow death window. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, that was all really helpful. Um, so you already brought it up. The third kind of part of the interview was um, why is biblical patriarchy a better term than complementarianism? You already kind of walked through that. Um, but how does, I, I think a huge concept in the book that, um, the listeners should understand is that all of your arguments for every, I think almost every text that when Paul brings up gender roles, he roots it in the creation order, the way God just made things. Um, every single time he brings up Adam and Eve, and he he brings them up usually um, before the fall. You know, so there's not really a um, this is a post fall uh, the you know enmity between the man and the rulership and all that. Um, so yeah. Um, How is the creation order very, very important when understanding biblical masculinity, biblical femininity, and then just just patriarchy as the understanding of how those two react with each other?
1: Yeah, I mean, you have to go back to creation, and uh, I think that's where God instituted male headship with, you know, he put Adam in the garden, Genesis 2.15 says to work it and keep it. Uh, which can also be translated "guard." So he had this uh, protection role, but also this provisionary role. He was to work the garden. Um, you know, he's supposed to feed his family uh, once he's married and uh, and things like that. So that starts in the uh, creation account, and Eve is a life giver. I mean, that's that's what her name Eve means mm-hmm. in the Hebrew. And so uh, you know, all of this is wrapped up. With how God designed them at, at creation, and so the, their duties flow from their uh, their very being. And I, you know, I have two chapters on this, and because I think it's essential. And as you say, Paul is always appealing to the creation order. So First Timothy two, one of the more important texts here, he he says, you know, he bases when he says, I do not permit a woman to teach. Or exercise authority over a man, he bases it on Adam and Eve. He says, for Adam was created first, then Eve. Mm-hmm. And he also mentions Eve's Eve's deception. Yeah. So he's he's going back to how God designed it before the fall. And this is why egalitarians will focus a lot of their arguments on creation and trying to argue that no Genesis 1 and 2 teach egalitarianism. Um, And then they try to argue that the fall, Genesis 3, introduced male rule. And so we're trying to go back to the egalitarian ideal. That's their whole argument. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think uh, why this is also important is that uh, it's not just roles. you know, we're not just going to isolated text in the New Testament. We're saying that you know, male headship in the home and in the church, those are the two most explicit in scripture, are rooted in creation. But then you can also, you know, extrapolate from there, okay, well, why would it then change, you know, in the civil realm? You know, man and woman's nature, they don't change just yeah. because you step outside of home and church. Yeah. Okay. And, that's yeah. And, and, and the same thing would be for, you know, women can't rule in, uh, in their own homes or in the church, why, why are they permitted to rule, you know, over households, I guess, you know, in like the civil realm. So maybe I'm getting ahead of things here, but, uh, no, that's, that's, that's why, that's why the creation account's so important.
0: Yes. Yeah. No. And that's, that's going to get into the very last question as we kind of wrap up here. Um, one real quick point that I just kind of want to interact with you on to see, to see what you think. Um, you, you diving into, um, First Timothy two right was the the text that includes um, Eve was deceived uniquely she was uniquely deceived and Adam was uniquely not deceived in that moment but just listened to his wife um, and, and, like not being a masculine man but um, have you ever read George Orwell's nineteen eighty four Yeah, I have. Okay, so it's I don't it, it's no um, obviously I think he was a pagan I don't think he was a follower of Christ but. He even recognized in the gender roles that women – he makes the fanatics in his book, the the, uh, religious and political fanatics in the book, uh, females. Um, If you remember that part, they're wearing the chastity belts. They're the ones that are like dogmatic about the party. Um, So he – I just – that always – when I was reading that, I was like, yeah, like it's not that women are like – they're obviously not less intelligent, but – like you lay out in the book, women are made from the creation order to be followers, to be, you know, the men lead and, and they follow. And because of that, they're uniquely able to be deceived in ways that men aren't. And that's why men are to guard. They're to be watchdogs, the watch, uh, men on the towers that are looking for evil. Um, so I don't know what you think about that, but it's definitely not an intellect thing, but it's definitely a spiritual reality of them wanting to follow They're more apt to follow, and it just makes me think of all the, the, you know, there's a bunch of pop culture references, you know, like George Orwell's 1984, and the fanatics are always women, and I think about most of the people that I know that are just very falling in line with the mask thing, not to get too, like, you know, present times, but it's more women that just get wrapped up in these... You know, social justice warriors are always women that are out there just going along with the movement. They're just, they're not thinking critically about what's being articulated about the ideas. They're just, I'm here for the movement. I'm not here to think about anything critically, really. Um, so hopefully, women don't hear me wrong on that. I hope they can hear my point in that. It's not an intellect thing. It's definitely a spiritual reality that's laid out in scripture and rooted in the creation order. So, anything on that, real quick?
1: <laughs> Do you think I'm off base? Yeah. Off? Yeah. Off? Well, we we haven't gotten enough controversial already, so so sure. we'll touch base here. So, I I, I think um, you know you bring up First Timothy two, I think it's verse uh, fourteen, uh-huh. where you know mentions you know and Eve was deceived, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived. Yeah, and you know there's two different views there. I argue for the more historical view, I think, which is that um, you know Paul's rooting this in. You know, it's something to the effect of women are more easily deceived. Yeah. Uh, and like you said, it's I don't think it's an intellect thing. Um, but I say George Knight in there, uh, how he says, well, women are made to follow. All right. That makes sense. So if Eve's made to follow Adam, she it, it just means she's more susceptible to deception from someone else trying to lead. And so Adam doesn't lead well. He doesn't guard. Yeah. And Eve is deceived. And I think you do see this in a lot of ways, whether it's um, cults, you know, people following cults. Of course, it's not just women that are deceived. Men are, too, obviously. Uh, Sometimes it's men are the ones in, you know, leadership or whatnot. And uh, uh, but, you know, you could get into politics. Uh, Maybe we shouldn't get in too much. But it's just a fact that women vote a higher rate you know, more, more liberal. So democratic party, for example, and that's just like a statistical fact. So the question is, well, how do you interpret this? Well, I mean, if you don't like the democratic party or liberal politics like myself, then um, I I think they rely on a lot of emotional uh, appeals rather than logical arguments and so, well, we want to help the poor and immigrants or or things like that. And with, without getting too much into this, I, I think there's just something about like the appeals they make. Um and I I think they deceive people. I mean, I, I don't think these are generally good policies yeah. or they're, you know, using these words and phrases when they're they're without actually playing out how does this work. I mean it happens with economics all the time. Is yeah. well That's we want right. to help people, so we'll raise taxes and, and give them this money. And then it has all sorts of destructive effects you have to walk through you know what what's actually the result of of going this route and so yeah maybe i got into too much there but i but i think there's something to what you're saying you know that that's yeah i think that's probably you know to stay on
0: topic with the book but you know there's the point is it's in creation the creation order even pagan women are exuding the way they vote, the way they do these things, the way the movements that women get wrapped up in all these things, we just can see it in culture. And that's really, I think, I thought you were spot on with that. And once you, once you argue it, you guys should check out obviously how he argues this in the book, but yeah, it, there's something to women just being followers. And as men, the point is we should love our women and protect them because there's a promise of, of that to women, just like there's a proneness for men to be harsh with their wives. So you know, women ought to, (laughs) you know, call out their men when they're being harsh with them, that kind of thing. Okay. So to wrap up last question, um, the creation order, like we just walked through, um, we know how it plays out. We just, we've walked through, you know, home church, but the most intriguing thing to me that is actually extremely biblically accurate that I did not, um, I, I wasn't even aware of this until I read the book of, All this being applied to the civil realm and how biblically, especially the Old Testament, we can see ways that, you know, elders, the elders of um, a town, these wise men that were, you know, the judges, those kind of things, you know, they're, they're always men. Um, And and your treatment of Deborah and Barack was, was great too, um, going through how they played out um, or, yeah. So what do you think about the civil realm and what's it going to take for Christians to realize all these things that we've just laid out, that you've laid out in your book, they do apply to the civil realm. How can somebody's wife be, you know, the, their district's co- uh, congresswoman that has authority to put, you know, legislation in place that could affect her own husband? You know what I mean? Like, How is that? Do, so, yeah, just flush that. Yeah, out.
1: I, I think, I mean, I think the argument is pretty strong here. Um, which is I, I lay out in chapter eleven in the book. So you know you you mentioned the Old Testament, and yeah, I realize like there's a closer church-state tie with Old Testament Israel, but it's very clear. Like okay, the women are not priests, just men. But it's more than that. It's only male soldiers, only male kings, prophets. Well, there's prophetess prophetesses, but. Um, as I argue they 're doing like more individual or uh, not public ministries yeah um, and so you know the the judges all of these civil offices are held by men, and I think this makes sense based on god 's differing design in men and women, so going to the creation account, but also extending out from the teachings of scripture on the home and church male leadership in in these two spheres and of course i'm not alone in doing this i mean you have john calvin making this case john knox of course uh, others as well and it basically is kind of where you're saying you know if a woman can't lead in her home or church how is she supposed to lead you know more broadly so if a if a State or government is made up of households, and a president, let's say, has authority over households. Then, how can a woman who can't lead her own household then lead, you know, in a civil uh, way over other households who are run by men? And so, I don't think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, if she's married, she would even be in a sense, leading over her own husband. Uh, so that doesn't make a lot of sense, but <laughs> Ephesians five, Ephesians five yeah. says, you know, wife should submit to her husband in everything. And so, you know, that just logically, I, I don't see how you get there. And so I'm trying to be consistent. Uh, I think Calvin was trying to be consistent and uh, of course this is, controversial because now you're stepping on the toes of uh, people outside the church. Yeah. You know, you're not, you're not just saying, Oh, well, here's our Christianity and we have male leadership. You're saying, no, even out there should be male leadership. Yeah. Um, so obviously we can't do a whole lot, you know, if a society is, you know, fairly secular or if we're a small minority as Christians, Um. I I'm, I'm more concerned when people are wanting to send women into combat, you know, so I spend time on that as well. I think that's a huge problem. It's certainly not protecting women. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So some of this is the ideal, you know, if we're in a more Christian society, uh, but I, but I don't think we should just hand over the civil realm to the feminists. And I think that's what a lot of complementarians, unfortunately, at least appear like they want to do.
0: Yeah. No, yeah, that's, that's all. Yeah, that's great. Um, one thing that's been odd with this new perspective, um, you know, God convicting my heart on, you know, through your book and through other teachers, um, what is really said about masculinity and femininity. It's very odd now. I, I just started my career. I just finished up my master's. So I, I, I got a job. Um, and my superiors are women. And it's like, this is, not correct like i you know it's just it's very odd to i have to answer to a woman and she is leading me in my work and like i'm being trained by a woman so it's just like it's an odd reality and um you know these these women aren't i don't i don't think they're married or have kids you know and that's why they're working they're career women so yeah it's it's just a sad reality um and Hopefully, we'll see some change, you know, as um, God's law returns to America, Lord willing. <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: it it does introduce some some you know difficult dynamics. I think that are just you know men and women relate to one another differently than a man you know to a to a man. I think that's that's obvious. So sometimes I don't know why this is also controversial when you know we're kind of stating things that that should be obvious. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is. It's it's the world we live in today, and we have to try to navigate it. And um, yeah, like you said, hopefully, you know, we can, through teaching, especially the church. I mean, is going to be the one that leads the charge in returning yeah. to God's ways, and ultimately, you know, feminism. I don't think is going to work out very well. Uh, it it's, oh, it's no. uh, you know, re- rebelling against God's design, and so this you know, whether it's just population decline (laughs) or family breakup that, you know, a lot of the problems that have, uh, you know, been tied to it. You know, I think, you know, if we want strong Christian families or strong families, it's going to be Christian men following God's ways. Uh, Of course we need godly Christian women uh, to come alongside them as well. So, yeah.
0: Amen. Um, Yeah. And and it's, Uh, just one final comment it it is odd to be forced to spend like you know eight hours a day with a woman that's not your wife you know and it's like i I just would rather not you know so it's just it's just a weird you know what i mean it's just weird you're forced to do such a thing um so i think that's yeah i think that's all i wanted to get through um i guess my final question um you know if you were conducting this interview, you know, if you were interviewing yourself, knowing what you wrote in the book, you know, what's maybe a big idea we missed out on that you think is just crucial for Christians um, to hear? Cause a lot of the listener base is Christians. Um, you know, there are some obviously non-Christians that listen, but you know, what's some of your words of wisdom there? Um, and if not, no pressure.
1: Yeah. Well, oh, I guess you could ask me, I, I, a lot of people like the last chapter in the book. So you could ask me, what are some practical steps we can take? Maybe that's a good... Yeah. Maybe that's what I would ask myself. No, that's, that's good. Um, so I'll just answer briefly kind of what I stayed in that chapter is, you know, we can't control all of the madness, you know, out there in the world uh, in our feminist secular society, But but we can do a lot to control our own households. And so there are a lot of steps we can take, you know, as, as men to lead well. And that starts obviously with following Christ and in his ways as set down in his word. Uh, but then, you know, some practical things as far as, you know, trying to find a, a good wife and leading her well and uh, loving her and then having children. I think we should try to have lots of children. And I get into that in the, in that last chapter, uh, cause that, that's, Frankly, going against feminism, right? If you want to um, look anti feminist, it's going to involve, uh, you know, having several children and uh, maybe homeschooling them or something like that. So, yeah, something crazy like that. No, <laughs> <Hell>, that's <laughs> really good
0: advice. Um, hope that's helpful to you guys listening. Um, just a few comments I had at the end uh, that I just wanted to throw out there. I thought. Obviously, the First Timothy two fifteen about women being safe to childbearing that was extremely helpful. The First Corinthians 14, uh, 34 through thirty five, the stuff on the civil sphere, like we walked out, and Deborah and Barack, and just feminism in general. This uh, your book was really helpful on all those things. I just wanted to highlight those for the listeners. Uh, and I yeah, usually, there's lots
1: of stuff we uh, didn't even. There's tons of topics in the book. Uh, you know, we couldn't even cover. Here, oh, so.
0: yeah, and also some names. You, you know, you quoted Calvin a lot, but there was B.B. Uh, uh, Warfield. R.L. Dabney, A.A. Uh, Hodge. Those were some good patriarchal thinkers um, from the past. Obviously, Calvin, um, John Knox. Um, yeah, mostly Presbyterians. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Not a lot of Reformed Baptist guys, unfortunately. Um, so, okay, I think that's good. I usually end with a doxology. So uh, First Timothy – Chapter 1, verse 17, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, This is the For the King podcast. Check out the website. Thanks, Zach, so much for joining us today. Um, Thanks for listening, guys.